Come on around back, Arizona, Saturday morning, 8 o'clock, the outdoor living hour of Rosie on the House. Saturday morning tradition since 1988 already, first Saturday of the month. If you're following along in your Rosie on the House homeowner handbook, you know today we're talking ancient grains in our Farm Fresh Hour. Julie Murphy, spokeswoman for the Arizona Farm Bureau, is in studio with us, and you brought your farm specialists, as you always do. Yes, my farm specialists, the gurus of Arizona agriculture in so many ways. And because ancient grains is our topic, I felt like I would have been missing out or not following through on this one if I had not asked Grain R&D. And my two guests in studio are Travis Chomelchoff and Scott Sossaman. And so I have... The love of uh, talking to all these wonderful farm and ranch people from the state of Arizona and finding out a little bit about your history. So, Travis, we're going to start with you. You're the son-in-law of Steve Sossaman, and uh, you're basically kind of boots on the ground running that grain R&D. So give us the story. Yeah, so grain R&D um, was kind of a brainchild of Steve's um, over the last maybe 10 years or so. Uh, where we had um, Hayden Flour Mills came to uh, Steve and said, hey, we would like you to grow these ancient heritage grains for us, and we want to revitalize the flour mill. And Steve's like, okay, well, how many acres are you talking, you know? And he's like, oh, you know, maybe like three varieties, like 10 acres each. Okay, 30 acres, not a big deal. Mm -hmm. Um, At least for farmers in Arizona. Yes, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, And so it's like, yeah, let's give it a whirl. Um, and there are varieties that grow well here in the desert. They're drought tolerant and just kind of seemed like it made sense and they grew fine. So year after year, you know, it was growing more varieties and bumping up the acreage and the flour mill moved to the farm. So it's kind of cool. They're on site. And I wanted you to elaborate on that a little bit because people listening may not understand the significance of the Hayden flour mill. So, yeah, so Hayden Flour Mill, the iconic flour mill named or Mill Avenue, named after Hayden Flour Mills in Tempe, um, and so that was I I couldn't tell you exactly when they were around. I haven't been by that area in a long time. Is the old it, mill still standing? It's still there. Um, I know Tempe has some plans to revitalize it. Um, so from where. Sun Devil Stadium is yep. you go up right. and over the mountain up on the other the side. That's the that original. That's the mill. original that's Hayden Flour Mill. It's very iconic, just like our four silos in Gilbert. Ex- yeah. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so, as Hayden Flour Mills was becoming more popular and their business was growing, they ne- they needed a place for their flour mill. And so, um, Steve was able to convert an old pole barn and turn it into a usable building for a flour mill. And so as they kept growing, and this was about seven years ago, um, Steve came to me and said, hey, no pressure, but <laughs> would you like to work on the farm, you know, be a part of the family business? And people are like, mm, you want to work with your father-in-law? How does that work? <laughs> eh, we're friends. We can hang out. Like we golf together. We'll sit and enjoy a nice whiskey by the fire together. So we, we have a good relationship there. And I was like, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll come and work for you, and I have no idea what I'm doing. With and how farm. many whiskeys were you into it when you agreed to this at this point? <laughs> or at least, you know, th- at least beer. This was none, none at the moment. Um, 
I, th- I think we had one afterwards, though, of the congratulatory the toast. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I was just trying to figure out, hey, what do we do and how do we grow this business? Um, and so Steve, at the time, we had a new building under construction that was going to house an expansion of Hayden Flour Mill. And then also we were going to put a grain cleaning and processing plant on the farm, too, which would allow us to be vertically integrated. Uh, just as you're moving commodities around, they're low value. And right. every time you move them, it gets real expensive. Yep. So if we can keep it all on site, we can just be more efficient economically. Um, and so being able to build a grain processing plant on site allows us to value, value add. Right. Um, and so that's the side of the business that I've been thrown into the deep end and learn how to swim. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. So, and the the mill, the grain cleaning business is right off of Sossaman. It's our farm headquarters. Uh, yep. yep. Sossaman and Ocotillo. Ocotillo. Yep. Yes. And it's... It's uh, on the same corner that the farm headquarters has been for over 100 years. Yes. And it's uh, really neat what they're doing there. It's very exciting. But now we need to hear some Sossaman farm history. So I'm defaulting to Scott Sossaman on that. And I have to say thank you for your service. Our retired colonel in the studio, thank you, thank you, thank you, Uh, retired Army colonel, correct? So, Scott, tell us a little bit about Sossaman Farms and your family. Um, Well, Sossaman Farms was uh, created uh, in 1916. By my great grandparents Nancy and Jasper Sossman, who came from uh, Texas at the time, and they actually began farming in what is now downtown Phoenix. They leased some ground down there and found it not too desirable. And then they heard that there were homesteads to be had out in the East Valley. Uh, back then, it was called Rittenhouse, now called Queen Creek. Um, and so they packed up, moved their family out there. And um, started working uh, raw desert in 1917. Uh, and that's how Sossman Farms was created. And over time, through di- various land acts, they were able to acquire more property till we had about 1,200 acres, two homesteads, uh, or two sections, sorry, two sections of land out there. Uh, that we grew, we've and we've grown everything from vegetables. We used to supply the mines uh, back in the 30s and 40s up in Superior and Globe, Miami. Uh, we've grown cotton, and of course, we've grown a lot of small grains along the way uh, until we, uh, till now, where we're growing the ancient grains, uh, which I think is a very exciting endeavor on on their part. Yes. I had the privilege of interviewing your grandmother, I believe, Faith Sossaman. What an honor and a privilege. And I just, I have to say that it's, I adore the Sossaman (laughs) bunch. So on to some of the other things that I kind of want to talk about in this first segment. What is one of the most exciting things about what the two of you are doing in this business niche? I I think just kind of exposing or not educating people on these ancient and heritage grains that a lot of people haven't had before. Uh, And so we're, what we do is we're finding different varieties from all over the world, uh, but that grow in a similar climate and region um, to Arizona. And we just kind of see if they grow. 
and most of them do. Some perform well, don't have good flavor. Some have great flavor, don't perform well. So we kind of do a little trial and error and see what works. Um, but what I what I think has been cool, kind of the grain side of the farm that has really taken off is so Hayden Flour Mills is using the grains, making flour mixes, pastas, bread, and everyone loves the flavor. And I was like, right. well, what if brewers or distillers or malt houses, like what if what if they were able to get some of these unique flavors out of the out of the grains? Uh, because these grains, not being hybridized, they they grow tall. So we kind of got to worry about them getting too tall and falling over. Um, but they also have very deep root systems. So if they have a root system that's, you know, trace roots of eight to 10 feet deep, they're pulling up micronutrients that modern varieties don't have. So you're kind of getting this sense of like terroir that you would have like with um, grapes for winemaking in different regions. So we're able to get unique flavors um, of these varieties based off of just where our farm is. So if we have sandy loam soil, we're getting a little bit of different characteristics than another farm we work with that has real rocky granite soil. And so you're just kind of able to educate people on kind of the nuances of these different grains being grown in different microclimates throughout the state. Which is so fun because we've already made a name for ourselves with our Arizona wine, truly have made a name for ourselves, and that we don't think about how these ancient grains can generate some of those same flavorful um, contributions to it just based on where they grow. So you have about four, three, four farmers that are growing ancient grains for you right now, yes. including Sossaman in, in, Farms. Yep, including Sossaman Farms. Um, th yes, this year we have three farms that are growing for us. Okay. And, 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 it, and it changes year to year. Um, sometimes we have one or two more farmers. Sometimes it's just us or us and another farm. It's just based off of um, what our demands are. And is uh, Sossaman Farms now exclusively growing ancient grains? So Sossaman Farms, we are growing, most of our acreage is actually in alfalfa. Oh, okay. Um, so that's, it. it's simple. We're surrounded by houses, alfalfa. It's a lot like mowing your yard. It's right. Like, you know, it's not messy. It's not dusty. You can come in, you can cut it, water it, and it grows. Uh, so alfalfa, though, being a legume, is putting nitrogen into the soil. So it's building up that soil health. And every handful of years when we need to rotate out of alfalfa, we can go into the ancient grains. Uh, so we have a healthy soil. So it right. allows us to uh, have less inputs. So our costs go down. It's a good rotation. Um, so that's kind of, we, we kind of circle around that way. Yeah. It's the rotation. It's keeping the soil health. Our farmers do that today. They'll, uh, when you ask somebody what they grow, they use it. They never say one singular, especially if they're doing produce, obviously, but it's cotton, wheat, alfalfa, and there's that whole rotation. So the Sossaman's farms is still doing the same thing. Right. And you know, the farm's over 100 years old, so yeah. if they weren't properly rotating crops and building up their soil health, they wouldn't wouldn't exist anymore. Right, So exactly. that, it's a testament to proper farm practices. And Sossaman Farms is a century farm that Arizona Farm Bureau recently recognized a couple of years ago. It's a memory survival, flaxseed and ancient grain. 
Agriculture is a $32 billion industry to the state of Arizona. Cash receipts for wheat range anywhere from 43 to $125 million of that cash wheel since 2010, according to the USDA. And, Julie, we've talked grains before. We had uh, Desert Durham in, a big export to right. Italy. Uh, two years ago, we actually had... <clears throat> Steve and Caroline Sossaman and Correct. talking about ancient grains. And today we've got new guest, Travis Tomachoff, which is a very well-known West Valley farming family name. But you migrated out to Queen Creek with your father-in-law, uh, Scott Sossaman, in studio with us as well. And developing this new ancient grain. Rosie asked a great question during the break. What defines an ancient grain? So an, an ancient grain and a heritage grain, um, they're, they're varieties that haven't been hybridized. Uh, and the ancient grains, they, they'll trace back thousands of years. Einkorn, um, pretty sure it's around 12,000 years old, found it in Turkey. And then there's emmer, um, which is faro, and they found that in the Egyptian tomb. So faro, pharaoh, kind of put it together there. Um, and that, that variety we think is about 3,000 years old. So that would be, those are examples of ancient grains. And then a heritage grain uh, would be something that's older, probably, you know, 50, 60, 70 years old uh, that was um, grown for a while and kind of fell out of favor just for something that was, you know, higher yielding, higher quality. But we want to revitalize those uh, just so to you show. snuck into Pharaoh's tomb, grabbed the seeds, yes, and started ex- planting. Exactly. It's exactly <laughs> what we did. <laughs> Uh, some other fun things about ancient grains here in the United States, they've become more popular to the public in the past decade or two. And here in Arizona, I just want to give props to that family. The uh, I just went blank on that. The um, family that uh, came to you guys. Yeah, and, uh, the Zimmermans. Yes, from the Zimmermans. Hayden, yep, Jeff yes. Zimmerman of Hayden Flour Mills. Right. Yep. So I think they've really helped the public kind of be reintroduced to some of these ancient grains and then just some popular varieties thanks to travis telling me about it uh there's spelt quinoa is considered ancient millet teff sorghum um also a few of those that are becoming very popular here in arizona that you guys have grown or have asked farmers to grow is white sonoran so there's a lot of neat things about ancient grains that we're learning more about. And a lot of them started in the Fertile Crescent. Trivia question there. Can anybody tell us where the fer- Fertile <laughs> Crescent is? But um, I want to now ask Scott, what fascinates you the most, especially because now retired colonel, you're coming back into the farm. What fascinates you the most about Arizona agriculture that you now have this forum to kind of share with the public? Well, I think, uh, as uh, Romy pointed out, we have a rich history with our pasta grains. Uh, Arizona grows the best pasta grain in the world. It's recognized. And so when I got out of the Army 11 years ago and came back to the farm and was introduced to Travis, uh, you know, more thoroughly, I was asked to join his team at Grain R&D as a self-proclaimed grain cleaning technician. (laughs) <laughs> and I love it. It's absolutely probably the funnest job I've ever had outside the military because uh, I get to drive forklifts and tractors and stuff that I did as a kid. But I, I pushing the heritage grain, ancient grain bumper sticker forward in that um, it 
it does contain a lot more flavor. Um, it's somewhat unique, and there's a lot of uses for it besides milling for flour. Um, and it's, quite frankly, it's fun to talk about the history of it. Uh, we know that uh, White Sonora, which is our biggest commodity right now, uh, was brought over by the Spanish conquistadors about 1540-ish. Um, now, if you, if you kind of walk that back to Spain, uh, Spain at one time was part of the Roman Empire. And I believe, I don't have any real proof, but it's very possible that that grain originated in Egypt as well uh, because the Egyptians and the Romans were trading quite a bit uh, during uh, a period of time. And so it's very likely that that type of grain made its way from Egypt all the way around to southern Arizona by Father Kino. Wow. So uh, anyway, that's, that's exciting to me. Yes, and you guys are really following suit with a unique aspect of agriculture in Arizona, which also always shows the complexities and diversities of Arizona agriculture. So pivoting back to you, Travis, to talk a little bit, what fascinates you the most about ancient grains, specifically ancient grains, not so much Arizona agriculture? I think, I, to me, it's just kind of a cool project to it, it, grain R and D, research and development. So you know, we select uh, select different varieties and collaborate with different end users and just see if something works. Uh, so Hayden Flour Mills, they say, "Hey, would you try growing this for us?" Yeah, we'll. We'll try it out, and maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. And then brewers will say, hey, have you ever tried growing this? Well, no, and here's a reason why. Um, and one thing, is, an example would be some different types of barleys that we've been growing the last couple of years. Um, everyone says, oh, you can't grow malting barley in Arizona. It's too hot. Okay, you, may, maybe it is. Or maybe we can do some research and find a variety that – might be able to survive right and so that to me that's just doing a little bit of the homework finding where some of these varieties originated from and kind of just how they're being used in other places and just see if that's applicable here we got a f full studio here julie murphy spokeswoman for the arizona farm bureau along with travis talmachoff of grain r&d and scott sossaman sossaman farms talking ancient grains I'm harvesting this field of some crazy grain. <laughs> We've harvested these fields of some crazy grain. <laughs> That's a Peterson Brothers, right? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I haven't heard I'm this particular sure. song before, but yeah. I don't... It's absolutely the Peterson Brothers. Yeah. I always yeah, there's no one else that could have done yeah. that than the, the Peterson Brothers. I love brothers. those guys. <laughs> The uh, wheat in Yuma County serves as the best rotational crop with produce. It has to do with what uh, Travis was <clears throat> talking about on how deep the roots growth is on the wheat. And the University of Arizona has demonstrated that southwestern desert wheat footprint for, water, for wheat and barley is among the lowest in the world as it relates to water use. Isn't that cool? Yeah, and we also have, we're focused on ancient grains, but we also have our Desert Durham, a registered um, mark, 
And that is very popular with Italy. They come to us because of the strength of that pasta. So we're pretty excited about that story. Again, I could spend the next 20 years of my life talking about Arizona agriculture. We wouldn't get it all covered. I just am honored and privileged to get to promote it as much as I get to. So, Travis, is it fair for me to say now we're announcing something big and something pretty special with grain R&D that you haven't necessarily been keeping it under wraps, but, hey, our listening audience is going to be some of the first to hear what you guys are doing. Yeah, so kind of the next step. Um, of just uh, the evolution of the farm is how do we keep vertically integrating uh, everything that we do? And so the next step is uh, malting. So Scott and I are in the process of, um, well, we've, we have been planning for a couple of years now to open a malt house. And so we're hoping in the next year to two years that we'll be up and running. Um, so we've been working on sourcing equipment and working with um, the USDA and available grants to help fund the project. Um, but yeah, we think that, that that's the next logical step is to just do it ourselves. <laughs> and this creates a value add for you because basically as a commodity, grain is not considered high value. You're Correct. The yeah, price it, point on it is not always that great. No, it's extremely low. Yeah. Uh, and so right now we're having to ship the grain out of state to get it malted and then ship it back. That way we have a value-added product for our customers. So if we're able to do it on-site ourselves, and it's, obviously it's got a pencil, it's got to be profitable, but we can even discount the grain, the finished malt product, because we don't have to ship it in and out of state. Awesome. So we can keep all things the same, and if I can pull that freight cost off, now it's even more accessible um, for our customers and end users, and then we're also able to just – we can kind of control it, not in a greedy way, but we can control the entire process from the field to harvesting – uh, processing to food grade and then malting ourselves. And you're you're truly creating this opportunity for a really value add local product, which is so popular with the public today. So, and because you're vertically integrated, you're connecting with the farmers that are growing you the ancient grain. But you've got brewer. The brewers have to be excited about this. They are. And what, one thing that we've found over the last probably five, six, seven years is customers, whether it's someone at a brewery enjoying a beer or someone in the brewery brewing the beer, they like to have a connection uh, with the farmer. It, there's a lot of value in having a relationship. So we've had breweries, um, you know, bring their whole staff out and come visit the farm and see the grain in the field and see what we're doing and then there's a sense of connection and if you know from the end user to the brewer to the farmer if they know how if they can see it touch it build the connection everyone wants to support the local guy right that's kind that's kind of the cool popular thing to do and then we're we're just helping build up the local economy that way, and we're just less dependent on outside resources. Right, and like and like you said, reducing some of the trans- transportation or logistics costs. Scott, you pointed something out during the break about growing emmer for the first time on Sossaman Farms, maybe some other locations, um, 
after about three or four years. You had grown it before, now you're growing it again. And what? how's that connecting to the malting component of well, the farm? <clears throat> yes, so we had we'd grown it before for um, flour. Okay. But Travis and I were kicking around the idea, mostly Travis because he's the smarter of the two. Uh, what if we grew emmer for malting? So sent off some emmer for uh, some uh, testing, uh, and it's come back very positive. So uh, he put in about 12 acres and a little more than that. Okay, 15 <laughs> acres. But, but on, anyway. On a whim. Yeah. Um, and we think it's going to be a very unique uh, element to put in uh, for, for beer. And you even said, Travis, that you're waiting for one more test. So talk talk to our audience about – you guys take this really serious. You send it off to researchers and that – Yeah. So it, without getting too into the weeds because I don't even understand all the all of the testing and analysis that comes back from um, the lab. But yeah, so we, we send off uh, different varieties to Montana State University. They have a um, malt quality lab. Uh, and they will run every test to test, you know, it, obviously, will it germinate? Will it grow? Yes, we know it will because we're growing it. Um, but then does it have um, good malting properties? And that, and basically, that's just making sure the pl- protein levels are in the right range because when you're malting, you're getting the grain to germinate and start to grow. Um, and then you will kiln it, so dry it and force it to stop. And that's when your starch is getting converted to um, sugars, which allows the yeast in beer, it allows your fermentation. Right. So kind of tying in, hey, let's take the next step of a malt house, but then let's go back into history and see why can't we do it with ancient grains? Right. So emmer is one that we're trying this year. And we know an, the her- a heritage variety of white Sonora, that's our biggest seller um, as far as a malted product goes. So we, we, we found it successful there. So we're going to try and see if we can replicate it with these other varieties. And you've had to test it because when you went back to the um, some conference that you just got back for from the Malters group or something. Yeah, yep. malt conference. And yep. When you told them that you were trying this with Emmer, they kind of looked at you a little cross-eyed like, okay, are you guys going to be able to do it? Yeah, yeah they did. And I've, I've had some people say, hey, have you done this? Can you do it? And we never had. And then kind of kicking around the idea like, hey, let's, let's try it. And then telling people that we are trying it, they're looking at you like, okay, well, ha- have fun. <laughs> let us know how that goes. And uh, you're talking about like – and I – had um, briefly forgot who I was wanting to reference, Hayden Flour Mill. They have asked you a lot of times to experiment with wheat, so you'll give it about three acres. And and it's not easy to – it's expensive to do research on different grains that you haven't done for a while. Yeah. I mean, it in a lot of these varieties, whether it's Hayden Flour Mill or different brewers that will ask, um, hey, can you try growing this? Well, if it's not readily available – especially in Arizona, then I got to find it. So then it right. costs money to ship it here. And then, you know, you have your normal farming costs. And then when it comes time to harvest, if you're doing these small um, areas, you know, say it's a three or five acre border, then when it comes time to harvest it, it's a lot more tedious um, 
for the combine driver to come in, cut the three, three, five acres, clean out all the equipment, and then go into the next border uh, for a different variety. Right. Beca- because we, we like to focus on keeping the grain, each variety, very clean and specific. And if you're wanting to taste these wonderful ancient grains, Hayden Flower Mill, they have a website, Hayden Flower Mill, just Google that and that will pop up. And then most of our, well, I won't say most of it, but you have several of your local brewers that are using your product. Can you rattle any of them off to us? Uh, yes, they're <laughs> Arizona Wilderness in Gilbert. Yes. Um, they're a very great, well known. great supporter of what we're doing. Uh, now there's Ren House. They're just down the road a little bit uh, in Phoenix. They're another great customer to work with. Uh, and then the shop brewery in Tempe, um, they, they've just been great to work with over the last three or four years. Now, Julie, I just need to know, when they plant three acres of wheat and harvest it, do you get enough to fill a Stetson hat or a wheelbarrow <laughs> or a pickup truck? Oh, That's a good one. Yeah, how much cu- wheat is three? Of pickle, a couple of pickup trucks. So really, g- generally, um, just simple back of a napkin math is a hundred pounds of grain per acre for planting, and then these heritage and ancient varieties yield less than modern varieties, only about a ton to a ton and a half an acre. Um, so you could take a hundred pounds of seed, turn it into about 2000 pounds of finished product. So that is enough to do some experimenting with. Yes, okay. exactly. Yes. I was just curious. Yep. Yeah. So if we're doing a three or five acre test plot, um, then we have enough for our seed for the next year and enough for test markets. And then that's kind of how you grow it, especially Correct. if you determine that it's successful and okay, this is doable in Arizona. And then you go, so I'm going to ask each of you, Travis, what's your favorite ancient grain in terms of flavor profile? Uh, or th- is that too hard to ask? <laughs> no, I, well, they, they all have different uses. Right, um, that's true. But I, I would say for me, white Sonora, because it can be used, it, it's extremely versatile. Right. So it's great for, as a pastry flour, uh, makes great tortillas, and it also makes really good beer. We did, yes, there you go. <laughs> we didn't even talk about uh, some of our bread companies and stuff. Bianca, I think they use your... Yeah, so Chris uh, Bianco, Pizzeria yep. Bianco, um, they he's a great friend and good supporter of everything that we're doing. Um, and so, yeah, they, they use our grains, uh, Proof Bakery. Um, Don, a lot of people. Don Guerra um, of Barrio Bread down in Tucson. He's oh, another big supporter. So, yeah. Scott, your favorite ancient grain, if... You were identifying it because of the flavor profile. I would have to agree with Travis. I think the white Sonora, um, not not just because it's our or his biggest seller, but um, recently while we were at the malt conference, a um, Travis partnered up with a brewery in uh, California there in Alameda for San Francisco Beer Week, and they made a beer, a traditional German Hefeweizen, which is wheat beer. Out, out of his grain, a malted grain, and uh, by all accounts, it was a very well-received beer. So, um, yeah. I bet you guys are great product testers. It, it's weird how a lot of the deliveries end up being like on a Friday afternoon. Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I I hate to burst your bubble, but I don't drink. Oh. <laughs> uh, 
I'm actually allergic to it. Are there oh. any openings for testers by yeah. any chance? Uh, certainly. Well, Travis sent me home with the beer, and that was delightful. I kept the can because I want to make sure that I know where to go to get it and all this other wonderful stuff. But, again, this, to the point, Arizona agriculture is amazingly diverse and amazingly um, set to because 300 plus days worth of sunshine allows us to do it. And any other little interesting trivia points in this last part of the segment, um, Travis, that we should know about ancient grains? Hmm. Well, I'll give you the break to think about it. Okay. Sure. Roll out the barrel and lend me your ears. I like beer. <laughs> it makes me a jolly good fellow. I like beer. It helps me unwind, and sometimes it makes me feel mellow. <laughs> wheat, wheat-based beer, wheat, of wheat course. Based. <laughs> so sometimes on break we discover more cool things than even when we're talking live to this wonderful audience that Rosie on the House has. So, Travis, talk about what you were mentioning on break about the ancient grain and how it grows and all that cool stuff. Yeah, so working with um, these varieties that have not been hybridized uh, is they they grow taller. So with, you know, modern grain – They've been able to hybridize certain traits to lower the pl- the total plant height, so that it doesn't blow over, um, you know, in the Midwest. And a, I guess, an unintended consequence is it has a shorter root system too. So they shrunk the plant height, but also shrunk the root depth, where like the white Sonora that we grow would be, you know, five five feet tall. Wow. And so people are like, oh, is it going to blow over? Well, it's got a pretty strong stock, so it generally doesn't. But with if you look at it that way of how far above the ground it is, you could take it and invert it, and that's how far below ground it is too. So wow. it's pulling up those micronutrients, and it just creates a very strong and healthy plant. Also, uh, with root system going that deep, they have access to more water. So white Sonora, by default, is a lot more drought tolerant, uh, which – Again, helps us here in Arizona, and we use it as a um, rotational crop between alfalfa. So if we're, you know, and people are like, oh, alfalfa uses so much water. Yeah, it does. It does use a lot of water, but then we also can help offset that by growing these heritage and ancient varieties that require a lot less water. So in some ways, because the the root is so deep, I, I wonder if it's as much of a water bank is alfalfa that has deep roots and they say it's kind of a water bank so when you are losing some of that water in the summer the heat of the summer then uh, because the roots are so deep it can access water but the cool thing to me with the ancient grains is how the flavor profiles for some of these ancient grains is so amazing so it makes it really neat and we've Talking with uh, alfalfa growers here in the Farm Fresh Hour, we've had uh, Paco was on recently, and then looking through the past, we've had uh, a number of different specialists. And one of the questions that was answered is, you know, a good alfalfa crop, you only need to replant every three or four years. Is that the same with y'all, and or or are you doing the rotation differently? Nope, that's about every, depending on the seasons, about every three to five years, uh, we'll rotate out of alfalfa, and that's when we'll choose 
the, those fields that need to get rotated, that's when we'll put in small grains. And um, how many years are you doing the grain so we'll, before we'll just, you go back to alfalfa? Just once. Okay. So we, we plant, we plant um, beginning of December. Generally, it's between Thanksgiving and Christmas is when we'll plant. It'll grow all winter, and then we'll harvest May or June. And then kind of go through the summer when it's too hot to do anything. Uh, we'll wait and then plant alfalfa in the fall. We had another alfalfa farmer on, Trevor Bales, who is quite popular on social media, and they have Bales hay sales. So if there's any any of our listeners that have questions about alfalfa and how well we can grow it here in the state of Arizona, you need to talk to the Bales family. And um, we love what you guys are doing. We're so impressed with this niche. Uh, I'm cheering you on with this malt development so you're more vertically integrated uh, Scott, Travis, any final words? Uh, you know, I, I would just say it's been a fun project to work on. And I, you know, 10 years ago, I would have never thought I'd be in the farming agriculture business, but here I am. Here, and I think he's doing it well. Cheers to him. And in fact, your father-in-law, Steve, is the one that said... Travis can do this. We need him on the radio. <laughs> yeah, so, he did volunteer me for it. He, he That's did all right. volunteer. You were voluntold. Yeah, so, exactly. Anyway. But Arizona Farm Bureau, if uh, anyone out there wants to support us, our membership is only $59 a year. And uh, we have actually more non-ag members in the Farm Bureau than we have ag members. So thank you for everybody that celebrates and supports farming in and Arizona. You would go to azfb.org. Yeah, or just Google Arizona Farm Bureau. And that membership comes with a lot of perks. I mean, oh, that, a lot for of 60 bucks a, a year, uh, you know, you could easily save that a month if you're paying attention to all yes. the people that offer Farm Bureau membership discounts. I mean, even uh, Sanderson Ford's $500 off a of vehicle purchase there. Sanderson Ford is a huge supporter of us. We love them. As a listener, I want to I want to sample the profile, the taste profile of some of these. How do I get them? Uh, so for the flour um, products, Hayden Flour Mills has um, they're, they're in Sprouts, Whole Foods, Fries, and then their website HaydenFlourMills.com. You can get everything there. I would say go to a brewery, Arizona Wilderness, uh -huh. Ren House, the yeah. shop, Old Ellsworth out in Queen Creek. Great. You can go take. You can go do some quality control there. Well, well, guys, thanks a bunch for coming in and talking ancient grains. For those of you listening, in the next hour, if you've read something, seen something, or heard something that has you growing concerned or interest on home security, you've got to stay tuned. In the next hour, we've got Jared Bright coming in from Harmony Security, talking about things you need to know about the current wave and what you can do to protect yourself.